Hello, I'm your host, Dora Vandekamp. Welcome to the Biohack Your Beauty podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of biohacking, spirituality, wealth, and self-development. Join me in exploring paths to health sovereignty, freedom, and ultimate well-being with the experts, teachers, and guides who are leading the revolution. Hi, my loves. I hope you are doing wonderful. We're nearing springtime and the leaves on the trees are starting to sprout, which is one of my favorite times of year. Cherry blossoms are blooming and birds are migrating, so keep an eye out for those beauties as they make their way back home over the next two months. Many of you know I feed the wild birds in my garden and I saw one of our regular morning doves already making her nest in the tree, so keep an eye out for baby birds. As we reflect on nature, we can mirror her wisdom and come out of our winter caves and blanket bundles to warm up and stretch into a more creative mindset. Tis the season for setting your intentions and making the preparations necessary to begin a new chapter once again. Cleaning your space and purifying your body to get ready for more action and creation is the vibe. I have been doing a lot of grounding, working with frequencies, and doing a liver cleanse. If you're curious about how I am biohacking with frequencies, please check out podcast episode 71 called Biohacking with Frequency Devices for Chronic Pain, Anxiety, Sleep, Beauty, and Shifting Ancestral Patterns. How are you preparing for spring? I would love to see your biohacks and tips on Instagram, so please tag me if you do share. So, so excited to have Nicole Doyle join us today to talk about hacking satisfaction and how to challenge the status quo to create more fulfillment in our daily lives. Nicole Doyle is a coach, mentor, and business strategist. She works with her clients to find satisfaction and fulfillment beyond traditional career and business success. Nicole is passionate about empowering you to see your blind spots and to ideate, create, and observe realistic and achievable plans your way. She works with successful professionals, entrepreneurs, and has 10 years of business consulting, strategy, and communications experience. Nicole and I are also bird lovers, so we vibed on that a great deal and continue to send each other cute bird reels on Instagram. All right, my loves, without further ado, on to the show. Hello, Nicole. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to have this conversation with you. I am very excited too. I definitely feel like I've been kind of immersing myself in all your content. And I, from the beginning, thought, oh my gosh, she speaks so beautifully and she has such amazing things to say. So I'm really honored that you've joined me today. And we're going to talk about some really cool things. I think that a lot of people will be able to relate to and also learn from. Awesome. I'm super excited. And yeah, I love your content too. It's just so fun to see how we, you know, can meet in internet land and then, you know, connect like this. And it's just super fun. So I'm excited. It is fun. And we have, Nicole and I have this fun bird geekery in common. We like birds a lot. And I know you're into gardening, which maybe we'll touch on as well, because I feel like you use it as a beautiful metaphor for a lot of the things that you teach. And I'm all about that as well. Just so much to learn from nature and so many mysteries to explore. So I'm excited to chat about that too. Yes. So I'd love to begin just by 
talking a little bit about your journey, you have this beautiful story about what led you to doing what you do today. So maybe you can share a little bit about how you got here, what led you to doing what you do now. Yeah, thanks for asking. And so I guess as many journeys begin, <laughs> it started when I was born. No, I'm joking. Um, but, you know, from a young age, I was, you know, very attached to my mom, who was a businesswoman, and she was a single mom and she worked really hard. And thankfully, for the first like 10 years of my life, my grandmother was there to help her um, navigate things. But I was often in my mom's cubicle. I was, you know, working with her at work. She was, balancing that life um, with me in tow. You know, there's pictures of me with a briefcase at like two, just like walking around the house. And it was interesting because I really had such a journey with seeing my mom be a powerful businesswoman. Um, But when she died when I was 22, suddenly I was in business school, I was going to college and I had to figure things out. And I just quickly copied and pasted her lifestyle um, her life in general. Like I was going to be this businesswoman. I was going to do these things. I was leading in many ways, but I realized after doing that for about seven years that I was just plainly miserable. I had been giving up so many things in order to have this life that I thought was the right way to do it. And no, and that's in no way to diss my mom's legacy and what she did, but she that's what she wanted to do and what she had to do. And I, and she never said, this is what you're going to do. I just learned it and it became ingrained in me. And I'd reached this major milestone in my career. And I actually, one day was laying on the floor in this office, packing for a trip to go to New York city the next morning, crying, just crying. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's where the story is interesting because a lot of people think, oh, next she quits her job. She moves on. She does something else. Like, no, actually I started to look inward and go, okay, I'm not just going to throw out this whole career, this whole thing in order to find what's making me um, unhappy or unfulfilled. You know, I'm going to go inward. And that like began like the second iteration of my inward journey. And I realized that I can be super successful and satisfied. Like to me, I work a lot with people to change what's not working without ditching what got you this far. And it's really, it's just been an interesting journey to like look inward versus outward to fix what was happening because nothing was broken. I just needed to have a new perspective. And so that journey really of my mom, like dying and then me realizing career success wasn't the only piece of the pie that mattered to me. And then to then going inward and just realizing how multifaceted I am was such an awakening moment and a journey. And I still am doing it now, you know, as you are too. So that's just a little snippet. Mm. There's this quote from a course in miracles and they say, a miracle is a shift in perspective. Mm-hmm. And I love that you're talking about the idea that it's not necessarily about the external that's causing this feeling of disharmony or this feeling of being lost. It's really about going inward and seeing what are the pieces that need to shift? What are the things that I need to kind of yeah, go out and do without throwing away all that I've accomplished. And I love that because it, it's a way of embracing the journey that's gotten you there too. It's kind of, I think we do this very often. We're like, I want to be this new version of myself. I don't like this old version of myself or this current version of myself. And so we just want to change. We want to erase everything that's from the past. And what you're saying is actually a, you don't need to do that. 
And B, that might not be in your best interest. It might be in your best interest to embrace all of that and simply explore new ways of doing and being. Exactly. There was like the ultimate urge to just, you know, light it all on fire and be done with it, like in that moment. And in fact, like it was a really interesting example. My husband was like, just quit, just quit your job. And I was like, actually, and in that moment when he like, kind of, I don't want to say gave me permission, but like, you know, when someone tells you just do the thing, you're like, oh, wait, actually that's not the problem. Like the problem exists inside and I need to understand this pattern. What keeps me from living that fulfilled life? What keeps me from doing the next thing that I want to do versus just ditching everything that got me here? Because we have to give great reverence to the journey that led us this far. You know, they say, I hear this quote a lot, what got you there, got you here, won't get you there. But it's like, we forgot the part that got us here. Like, thank you, thank you, thank you for this part. Because if not, we wouldn't even have the option to go to the next version. Yes. I feel that so deeply in my bones. I look at it. I mean, there's many ways that shows up in my life, but for one example, my relationship. So I have this incredible partner. He's so just, he's so wonderful in so many ways, really grounded, really calm, really healthy. We have a really healthy relationship. And yet I dated a lot of not that in the past, just really, you could say, quote unquote, toxic relationships, so Mm -hmm. much drama, really just an addiction to fixing people and, and having all of the, this turmoil. And even though some days I'm like, oh, why did I do that? Why was I such a doormat to people, Mm -hmm. right? Why did I allow myself to be in those situations? I can also see that all of those pieces led me to being in such a beautiful relationship, right? Like the pendulum swung all the way to one side so it could swing all the way to the other side. And I could see how incredible this person is, how grateful I can be and just have this depth and all of this awareness around that. And I I think it's really interesting. We have that with a lot of things where our journey gives us, like you said, that perspective that otherwise we wouldn't have that understanding, that awareness of yeah, the current situation and, and how blessed we are to be there. Yeah, totally. Cause sometimes it's hard to see the light, you know, without having seen the dark. Right. And it's not to say that you have to stay in any one place for an extended period of time to see it, but it helps you see that binary, like the, you know, the good and the bad, right? (laughs) And is anything ever really good and bad? (laughs) You know, one could argue either way, but yeah, the perspective is huge. I love the relationship example because it's so true. If you had met your fiance before you were ready, you might've just like, like, please. (laughs) But now, right. And, and that's the beauty of it is that we we're ready for what we're ready for. And Mm -hmm. that's why when you have an experience and you try to tell someone else, you've got to do this or you got to try this. And they're like, no, thanks because they're not where you are. And they haven't experienced what you've experienced. Exactly. It's hard because you want to fix it and tell people. And I have an astrologer that I absolutely love. And what she said to me was your lesson in this lifetime is to guide, not fix. And I was like, wow, that felt really potent. And I feel like in the first like 30-ish years of my life, I was just trying to fix, 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 which is a disservice 
It really is. We take that, um, that awareness and that lesson away from people when we just fix it for them. Now there's certain things, obviously for children, it's a lot different, but you know, for adults who are able, it's really a disservice and they need to experience it. And in coaching, like you've got to come to a middle ground where it's like client led. They have to want to go to where they want to go to understand. And like, had anyone told me what I know now, maybe five years ago, I would have been like, but no, that's not it. You know, I would have been like, there's no way I couldn't absorb it. It wouldn't have made it into where I needed to go until I got there myself with guidance, of course, but (laughs) I had to totally. And that's where coaching is such a beautiful piece, right? Because it's somebody who is who is coaching you, who isn't doing it for you, who's not your hero or your savior or the person that tells you to do this or that. It's really the person that's that's guiding you to the next level, to the next step, supporting you, cheering you on, maybe being a mirror for you, right? But mm-hmm. not necessarily taking that. And And it's so true. We tend to think that we're being generous when we do things for people or take the responsibility away from someone. But what we really do, like you said, it, it is a disservice. It's almost selfish to not allow. There's this story. It's a really short story about this little boy and he gets this caterpillar from school and he, it's going to turn into a butterfly. So he watches it every day and it creates a chrysalis and it has, you know, the little chrysalis and he's watching it every day. and he's just so excited. And the chrysalis kind of starts to like molt, you know, like there's that Mm. part where it starts to come out and he set decides to help the butterfly come out of the chrysalis. Right. So he cuts the chrysalis open and the butterfly kind of stumbles out and then it dies. And Mm. he takes the butterfly to his mom and he's crying. He's like, mom, mom, what happened? And, and the mom tells the little boy, it needed to do the work. It needed to gain the strength from coming out of its chrysalis. It had to do that on its own in order to be strong enough to fly. Right. And so I always remember that because I think we take that away from people. We, we want to help them come out of their chrysalis, but it's Mm -hmm. their work, right? It's their, their job. And otherwise they won't have the tools they need to, to fly. No, totally. That is such a beautiful story. And it's like, it's such a hard lesson, like, especially thinking of a little four-year-old, like I'll fix this for you. You know, what a big heart, but also such an important lesson to learn because it is the strength required to break out of that shell. And often I feel like that version of the butterfly, you know, like where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm a caterpillar again, and I'm going (laughs) to go into my little cocoon and now I'm breaking out again. It's like, woo, I'm a whole new, like this is cool. Um, and if someone were to, you know, just say like, no, you're going to, I'm going to pluck you out and put you here. Yeah. That would be so shocking. Yeah. And probably send you backward. Yeah. And we actually touched on this in one of our conversations too, is that idea, like we look at nature and we see what can nature teach us. And I think there's many examples where humans want to do things for animals, right? They want to make sure that they're okay. And again, it's a disservice to them too, because it takes away their independence. It takes away their ability to survive because nature is a very cutthroat world in many ways. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, just thinking of the ways that we 
can really become more independent and help others become more independent instead of trying to help people survive, but be dependent then on us. Totally. Yeah. It's a huge nature is such a huge teacher for me because like, I, I joke, if you would have known me five years ago, you wouldn't know me. Like it would be totally different because I would not have the patience to grow at things. And maybe, maybe I'm saying five years, but it's been a little bit longer than that. But I would struggle with like waiting for things and having things bloom and emerge and, you know, germinate all these things. And now I'm like, nature is my greatest teacher of patience because things do not just happen when you want them to happen. And things have seasons and things have, you know, their own moment and their own, um, you know, bloom cycle. And it's just so interesting to then apply that back to my life. Cause I'm like, well, duh, I can tell you that this blooms now, but then I'm like, oh, I see, I see the lesson. Like it took me very fast paced person to learn to slow down through flowers. (laughs) Yes. And that's a beautiful practice. And I want to kind of go deeper into that because I think this is a beautiful segue into this topic of satisfaction. And this is something that you are really passionate about. This is something you teach in your work. So when it comes to someone coming to you and saying, Hey, I'm lost. I'm in this corporate job, but I feel like you did totally like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't have that light in me. What, what do you tell them? What do they, what should they look at? Yeah. So the first thing I do with almost everyone is I I send a bunch of pre-work questions because I feel like it gets you moving. Like, okay, what do you think success is? And what do you think satisfaction means? And then where did these definitions come from? Are they learned all this stuff? And so people start to do this inner inquiry and then they start to realize like, oh, this is my dad's definition or like, this is my grandfather's or this was what my mom taught me. And this is what she said I had to do to be successful. Or this is what my mentor does. And you know, all these things. And you realize am I living my truth or am I just reliving something I was sold by somebody else? And it's a really hard moment to like, oh, wow, what I've been working toward maybe isn't mine. And to have that moment of recollection is like super powerful. And I feel like that gets people ready to hear the next part, which is often, it may be you holding you back. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why I don't like to sugarcoat this work because it is deep introspection and understanding our patterns. And like, why do we have this resistance to changing something that's actually really bothering us? Well, there are many reasons and there are things that have held us safe for a long time. And when you're finally ready to examine those patterns, it's reprogramming your brain. You're rewiring everything in your subconscious to like understand that this is safe. And so it's not like a quick you know, oh, we just go through this and then you're, you're done. Like I started this work, I think it was about seven years ago and I'm now being fully certified in it by my coach. Who's fantastic. Her name's Ali Shapiro. And this is her method. It's a truce. It's called a truce methodology. And she was my first coach ever. I got so lucky. I found her and I was like, oh wow. And I worked on this with food. I wanted to understand why am I looking for the perfect diet? Why am I doing all this? And it was a moment I will never forget we were like two sessions in and I go, oh, this isn't about food, is it? (laughs) And I was like, huh, okay. It was about so much more. And so it was me afraid of that next piece that I wanted to greet. 
but I was holding myself back. Mm. That's, I believe so many people who are listening can resonate with that. And food tends to be a big one for people as well. For sure. And food, you know, food, money, relationships, work, career. So I realized this was about me being like a people pleaser in my life for like a lot of people, kind of back to what we were saying before about a little bit of an enabler for people in my life to kind of like do things for them and all of that. And um, I was using food to cope of feeling discomfort or feeling inadequate or something like, you know, things like that. And when I got through that fog of like, oh, this isn't just about food. I was like, ding, ding, like, okay, there's so much here to it. But back to the corporate example. So I have a lot of clients who come to me in their work. They're dissatisfied in their work. They're not happy, but they're super successful. And they say to me, on paper, everything looks amazing. How could I be so terrible to not appreciate what I have? And I'm like, whoa, 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 we got to stop right there because you are allowed to feel both. You are. It's completely valid. And no one should demean your experience just because you've reached a certain level of success doesn't mean that you can't want something else or want something more or crave a different feeling inside. What a lot of my clients end up doing is they end up overworking Mm -hmm. because they feel I can just get to that next milestone. If I could just be better here. They're drowning out whatever's actually happening by working more, by doing more, or really like putting their needs to the side, you know, and like not actually going for, you know, taking care of themselves. And so it's a huge piece to have that moment of like, oh, I see, but there's reasons why, you know, and they're all very valid, especially to the logical mind, you know, and and it's, it's an unpacking exercise. It's almost like, you know, those dolls that are like nesting dolls. Yes. Yeah. It's like that kind of process. And like each, each session, we kind of un, you know, unnest a different doll. And then once you have the whole lineup of dolls, then you start to experiment and you go, okay, where can I test this out? Like, how can I see where my story is playing out and where can I make logical changes that feel good to me? How can I become the author of my own story now? Mm-hmm. Do you find that people tend to pick up those programs or those subconscious beliefs mostly through childhood? Or do you think that there are other ways that people do that as well? Yeah. There's some that are ancestral, you know, that go back even before that you're just born with it. You feel it in your body and your soul. And then there's others that are a lot in childhood, but we do do a timeline exercise in my longer work where we start to see when did this happen and what did I make it mean about me? Mm. And in that moment, you start to see it literally on a piece of paper and you start to say, okay, wow, this makes so much sense. I am the way I am for a reason and it's okay. And I can make changes now. You know, this isn't therapy. Like we don't go back to say why, like every one of these things, but we're looking like, okay, I get it now. Like there's no shame here. It removes shame. It removes that feeling of guilt because you're seeing why and that this didn't all happen. But there are plenty of events that have happened in people's twenties and their teens, not just childhood. But when you're zero to seven, anything that happens even if it's not about you, you make meaning that is, this is because I did this and you can't just quickly like take an eraser, (laughs) undo that. Right. Yeah. I I think that's such a powerful question overall to ask ourselves too. What do I make this mean about me? Because we constantly do that. And you talk about comparisons too, Mm -hmm. which we do so often, especially as entrepreneurs or as 
professionals or as content creators, right? We have these numbers or these titles and we make them mean something about who we are, what we're worth, how successful we are. And so I'm wondering too, how do people shift that so that they can really look inward, but not get so caught up in that comparison piece? Totally. I think the comparison piece is so important to understand, especially in the online business realm. I mean, any business realm, right? Um, But comparison is, I like to liken that to a pattern of being a competitor, right? And there's, there's three main patterns that I evaluate. One is the competitor, two is avoid, and three is accommodate. Now we have all three of these patterns within us at all time. It just depends which one's like front and center. And I feel like online a lot, our competitive pattern is really front and center. And if you think back to it, it's not a bad pattern to have because it kept us alive. Like it kept our ancestors alive, like hunter gatherer style, you know, like I need to feed my family. So I will compete to get this, you know, hunting or gathering the food or whatever it may be. Um, And that's a very primal thing. Yeah. And so now we're thinking, oh, business online, titles, money, these things, it's, it's awaking that primal need to survive. And so it's hard to like, just turn it off, you know, it's a, but it's nice to know when you're in the compete pattern, because you can say like, oh, if I can't do it better than this, but it's sometimes the compete pattern rather can lead to avoiding mm. and to say like, oh, well, I'm not as good as this person. I might as well not try. Yeah. Or overwhelm where we're, I mean, I've experienced that like, oh my gosh, I could never do what that person does. Cause I'd have to do this and this and this and this and this and this. And now I can't do anything because I don't even know where to start. Yeah. And it's such an interesting way because the mind quickly like wants to close the loop and close the, close the story loop really. And so as we look at these patterns, it's interesting because we can see where they're popping up. They're a lot easier to spot than like the deep rooted pattern when you're first getting started, but you can see if you're like, oh, my needs don't matter. That's fine. Don't worry about me. Accommodate, you know, or I'm just going to go watch TV because it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm there. There's no way I can get all this done tonight. I'm just going to avoid, you know, like, well, did you see her post? It was way better than mine. I should delete mine, compete, you know, things like that. And it puts the competitor pattern alone puts women, I think at odds with each other so much more than men. Men, I think are naturally competitive in a way, but not in a, they're weird. (laughs) They're like, they just, the way that they, even the way that they socialize, it's like, so mean, you know, like they're, I mean, not in a terrible way, but they just kind of make fun of each other. And so that competition, it's like, it's, it's friendly and cutthroat, but at the same time, but women have a hard time with that. I think it's, there's so much maybe wounding around that and so much shame and guilt around, I mean, just yes, sisterhood and friendship and competition. And I feel like it's, we just make, not that we complicated, but it feels more complicated. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. Um, on Sundays, it's the night before our trash goes out and you can hear like one guy drag out their trash can and it like signals to all the other men on the block to start taking. And I've kind of like tried to sit back and like observe this pattern and then like (laughs) And then the same thing when they take it in the next day, not to say that some of the women on the block don't drag their trash cans in, but it's almost like they're like, oh, well, so-and-so just put their trash can and I've got to go get mine in. And I'm just like, 
Interesting. Different, different patterns here I'm noticing. <laughs> but yeah, men have that totally different community and, you know, structure. And I feel like it's underlooked a bit in our, in our world, but as women, like we've got a lot to unpack as well. And there's so much to it. That's so critical for us to understand, especially now, because it takes a village for everything we're doing, not just raising children, but like living, surviving. And women are often like competing against each other. Yeah. And there's enough for everyone. Yeah. I think that's really true. And there's almost this fear around sisterhood and immunity for women because of that. And I feel like our culture is kind of part of that, that, that we fed into that. And I think there's certain aspects of that encourage that. And so it really does take like introspection and going inward and really being able to connections and still, yeah, let go of those preconceived notions and those programs around all of that. Totally. And they're there, they're in there within us, however they may show up to really protect us in some way. And it's all very valid, but what I find to be a really important distinction with this is like, when we look into these patterns, they're not to make an excuse for our behavior or for how we are. It is so that we can then pick up the pen and say, I'm going to rewrite this versus blame it. And I find that that's where a lot of shadow work can go into left field. Let's just say, like, be like, oh, you went off the map here. Like, it's like, oh, that's just my shadow. You know, that's just my thing. And it's like, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, we can learn about ourselves, go deep introspection and not blame, not shame and not create new patterns of of shadows to deal with. We can just say, well, okay, I understand the way I am and why I'm this way. And I'm now choosing to be different and be conscious that everything we're doing is data. It's giving us data to learn about how we are, how we operate in the world and how we want to be. And where can we see that story? Like I go back to the story loop because really making that meaning. And if we can't change the story, then what are we doing? We're just making it more. Yes. (laughs) We're just making more stories to then have to work through. So, (laughs) which, yeah, I think we're really good at stories and often those stories can either benefit us or they can do the opposite. And they can mm-hmm. make life more challenging. And I do feel like that's a really big part of how we, how satisfied we are in life, right? Is the stories we tell ourselves continuously and over and over again. And they say too, I think our brain has a lot of the same things going on every single day. It's like the same thoughts constantly. So it takes that introspection to change those thoughts. Absolutely. And, and experimenting, you know, there's different ways to experiment in your day-to-day life that isn't going to send you into nervous system overdrive, or that's not going to be like, oh my gosh, this is too much. I can't even fathom doing it. You go just edgy enough to test your story in the, in the real world. I say, because like, you know, it's usually other people giving you feedback that can, that helps you, but you go just far enough to feel the edge and to see, wow, okay. Like nothing bad happened there. Or you know what? That didn't feel so great. Why? Like, let me see what happened. And to be able to rewrite those patterns requires some experimentation. It doesn't just happen in your journal. 
you know, it happens out at your job. It happens with your family. It happens with your significant others. It happens at, um, you know, a get together with your friends. It's all these things that really shape our life. And it's easy to get into the journal. I mean, it's not always, I'll be honest. I'm not always easy to get into the journal, but you know, you can rewrite these patterns on your own, but you've got to test them in the world. I think you bring up such a good point because we are constantly looking for that one thing, like that one coach or that one program or that one tool or that one technique or that one YouTube video that's going to shift everything for us. And then we'll be fixed and we'll and everything will be good. And yeah, it's just not that simple, right? There is so much we, we, we've talked about how it compounds, right. And how it, it's something that builds on each other. And like you said, my fiance is in marketing. And when you're marketing, you don't just put something and then that's it. You're constantly testing, constantly testing. Is this work? Do people like this? Do people respond to this? No, let's try something new. Let's try something new. And I think that's exactly what it's like when you're working on your doing the inner work. There's that curiosity. There's letting it be a process and taking that time to let it be a journey and not thinking this has to be the one thing and putting that pressure on yourself. Oh my gosh. Yes. All of that. Yes, yes, yes. Cause if someone let's just like PSA to the world, if someone's telling you this is the thing, please just thank you. No, thank you. Like run away (laughs) because it's never, it might be their thing. And that's absolutely beautiful because that's their process, but it might not be yours. And anyone trying to convince you that it is, is kind of doing you a disservice because that is your journey and your moment. And all these things can be additive and can help you and support you, but there's never just one thing. And I, I joke because people are like, I've done this before. I've been through this pattern before. And I was like, oh yeah, I said, I literally said this last week. I was like, I've done this already. Like, why am I rehashing it now? And it's like, I'm rehashing it from a new layer of capacity. I've walked up the stairs and now I've seen things from a different level and I'm going, huh, looks a little different up here, but I'm still seeing that pattern. How can I revisit and how can I use what I've learned about myself to apply this now? Mm, I think that's really beautiful. Such a great perspective because it also isn't like you said in the beginning, there's not good or bad. And so it's this thing where we don't view everything in pass or fail either. It's not like, oh, why am I dealing with this again? It's not because you failed or because you've been doing it wrong. It's just because now you're ready to go deeper with that. You're ready to, to face it as a new version of yourself. Yeah. And there's this, there's this thing and I'm going to butcher it a little because I don't know exactly whose study it is, but there's three types of the mind, right? There's the socialized mind, which is where we're all at. We're at the beginning, you know, we were conditioned all these things. Then there's the self-authoring mind. And then there's the self-transforming mind. I don't know very many people that are in the self-transforming mind. It's really, it's a, it's a process, you know, maybe like Buddha, right? Like we can look at that, like doing all that, but what we're doing is taking people out of the self I'm sorry, out of the socialized mind into the self-authoring mind. And it's such a beautiful process to get there. But we have to, in the self, I'm sorry, in the um, the socialized mind, there's a lot of binaries. There's a lot of good, bad, beautiful, ugly, 
um, you know, on and on and on, like responsible, irresponsible. And not all these things mean the same to all people, but, you know, we know truly right and wrong, right, for most things. But when it gets to everything that's out of like actual right and wrong, there's nuance. And when we can introduce that nuance and allow you to start asking questions before making meaning about yourself, that's really when you've moved out of the, you know, the socialized mindset into the self-authoring mindset. And it is the best thing. It's like, I, if there is one thing, it's taking a journey to change that mindset. I would say it's like really spiritual in itself. It's so great that you brought that up because I had something come up on my Healy, which said, I, it's important for me to practice, learn how to practice neutrality. Mm -hmm. And I thought, Ooh, that is really good because I find myself like you said, really dividing things into good or bad, or just really judging things like constantly judging. And, and perhaps there are belief systems or programming for me that make me feel safe in doing that subconsciously, but yeah, having that perspective of neutrality, I don't have to have an opinion about everything. I don't have to judge everything. I can just be and let that be and observe and i think that is a very empowering because it's first of all it takes way more energy to be judgmental <laughs> yeah and second of all it also allows you to be open to learning from that instead of having this finite perspective about it totally and having that neutrality is such a beautiful place to be but also i want to acknowledge for you that the ability to have that judge, you know, you're making judgments often and you're seeing things in the binary is also a beautiful way of having discernment Mm -hmm. and you know, what's good or, you know, right for you. (laughs) It's so quick. You so easily get into it because our society is just full of it, but it's some discernment is required for you to understand what's actually right for you and what will serve you best. And so while judgment can be such a harsh term that's used. I think it's also a beautiful place of having that discernment that allows you to now look at it from a place of neutrality and see hmm, which of these decisions or metrics do I care most about? And then all the other ones can just come from a place of neutrality. I love it. No. And I think that's, you make such a good point because again, like even judgment is not good or bad, right? There is a reason we have judgment. And I think in many ways, that discernment piece is more important than ever in our culture with all of the information that's available to us. And we have this social media network where we are exposed to so much and yeah, it's really important and and empowering to have that ability to discern. Is this, Mm -hmm. does this feel right in my body? Do I want to give my attention to this? Is this something I want to take part in all of those pieces? Absolutely. It's so true with social media. It really, I mean, social media alone, let alone anything you see, it, the, the thing that keeps popping into my mind right now is like, um, the, as seen on TV, mm-hmm. as seen on TV used to be so big in like the early 2000s, the nineties, the two thousands. And now it's like, Imagine all the as seen on TV stuff is now like Instagram, right? Yeah. Yeah. In between there might've been like, yeah, one good commercial, but then there's like 15 as seen on TVs and you're kind of like, oh, that's a little second. It's kind of like the, this is a New York times bestseller. And you're like, yeah, like this and every other book is a New York times bestseller. (laughs) You're like, 
top of the charts. And it's like, which chart? <laughs> chart? Yeah, exactly. It's, but it's, yeah, I think that's a really, a really beautiful way to look at it. And more and more, especially as you do the work that you're, you're doing, you're helping people do and supporting them in doing, I think that becomes more clear to what is for me and what is not. And that leads me into my next question for you, which is something I think we end up doing in life, which is doing what we're good at. And you bring that up where you say, actually, just because you're good at it doesn't mean that it has to be your job, that it has to be the thing that you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've said that so many times in like the last year. I think that I, I even had to remind myself this the other day I was driving home from somewhere. I was just because you're good at it doesn't mean you have to do it. And I was like, okay, this is like my own mantra, I think right now. And so I love that you've asked that because oftentimes we find that like, oh, I'm good at something. So I'm, that must be the thing I'm supposed to do, or I have to do this. This is my purpose when, you know, there's a lot being thrown around about purpose right now. Like I'll, I'll side, I'll sidebar that, but like, just because you're good at something doesn't mean that you have to put all of your eggs in that basket. Um, I grow a lot of flowers, right? And I love that, but I'm not a farmer. I'm not. I just, right now, <clears throat> I don't have the land to be a farmer. I actually don't have the desire to be a flower grower on a scale, like at, at scale, right? I just have the desire to enjoy my flowers and I don't sell them. They're just for me. And I realized that when I tried to sell flowers, <laughs> even locally, like I just wanted to give them away. And there could be more about that. Who knows about that story? Like that I could have been like, oh, maybe I didn't, you know, feel a certain way about it at the time, whatever, whatever. But it's okay to be good at something and not do it the way everyone else intends that you should. Um, you know, as you know, I'm in, I'm in like the very end of a career transition. And I had the moment the other day thinking, I'm like a black belt at this. I'm so good at this. Am I making a mistake? Am I am I choosing something different? Should I just stick with what I'm really good at? And the answer was no, because I can experiment and this is okay. My husband always says, you can always go back. And I was like, I don't think once I turn this page that I'm going to be running back. But it's a moment to realize that you don't have to do everything you're good at. I think of like child athletes, right? And they're really good at, let's just say, and that is their dream. And there's nothing wrong with their dream to continue to play soccer professionally. But it doesn't always end up that way. And so when you've just got one tiny narrow lane, what meaning are we making out of not being good enough to play in major league soccer or international soccer? I'm using soccer as an example. And I don't know, I realize I don't know much about soccer, <laughs> how it ends up panning out. But it can be really hard when you've only got one thing that you think you're good at versus allowing yourself to feel the realm of possibilities. I love that. I just read a book called Harry Soto is back. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's, mm -mm. it's about this tennis air. It's a fiction. It's a romance. I love reading romance and, mm -hmm. but it's a really well-written one. And she's this tennis player and she's a child athlete and she is the epitome of competitive. I mean, she is the most competitive person. But then when she retires, she kind of has this journey where she's like, I, what am I worth? Like, what, what is my life about? It's a really great book. I, I highly recommend it. And I think that it's something really powerful for us all to think about too, when it comes to staying in our, in our comfort zone, mm 
And I think comfort zones are great in some ways, right? It's important to also have a comfort zone and allow yourself to enjoy life and not always need to surpass your, your best personal best every day. But on the other hand, I think so many of us tend to stay in our comfort zones because we're good at something. Right. And so even when it comes to things like having kids or moving to a new country, right. Or starting a new career or switching your career. It's so easy for us to say, well, things are good now. Why would I change it? Why would I do something different? Mm -hmm. And there's so much opportunity for growth and expansion in those new pockets of life. But if we stay in those places, even though, like you said, we're a black belt where we're at, may us out on some of the really beautiful lessons in life. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be comfortable or easy or fun or rewarding even, but you do get to expand and grow. And so being open to that, I think is really beautiful. It's not that everybody has to do that, but I do think it does present us with a lot of opportunity for expansion that otherwise we wouldn't necessarily receive. Oh, totally. A hundred percent. Because it's like the comfort zone is a beautiful place to be, to get your bearings and understand. And I often like to think of what is my capacity to take on something new? And sometimes you're at a capacity ceiling. You're at the wall. You're like, you know what? I've got to expand my capacity before I can take on something else. But the thing is, is that you're never stagnant, right? You know, being in the comfort zone doesn't have to mean stagnancy. And also I just encourage anyone who's thinking about like, oh, I'm really good at this, or I just got good at this. Why would I give it up now? Like, don't leave from a place of being at a super high or a super low, or like move on to something new. Come at it like that beautiful thing you said about neutrality. When you're neutral, move forward. I have plenty of coaches tell me, do not quit your job when you are miserable. Like leave from a place of neutrality when you're absolutely ready. You know, you've ridden the high wave, the low wave. Now you're in the middle and just kind of go with it. And it's actually so beneficial. And my career change came as a surprise. I didn't think that something like this would happen. And it landed through my network. It landed on my lap and it was actually the perfect change for me. And I was like, huh, this is what everyone talks about when it just feels like very kismet or like serendipitous that it would happen. So in that moment is when I had to choose, okay, will I revise my resume? Will I throw my hat in the ring for this? Will I get out of that comfort zone? Let me tell you, I sat here like white knuckled a few days going like, oh my gosh, am I actually doing this? You know, but I was in control and I was the one driving. So I said, okay, I can do this and everything can be safe. (laughs) You know, just edgy enough. Even though this is scary, it's all, you just had that level of trust, right? That self, in a way, trusting yourself that it's a decision that's right for you. Totally. And that's like my personal definition of satisfaction, knowing that whatever happens, I've got me, like I've got me, I can come in a place, come at this from a place of knowing that whatever I choose will not be right or wrong. It is, it is good for me and it's right with me. And that's like, between that and living with nature and like understanding the patterns of the universe and things like that, like that to me is satisfaction. But to someone else, it might be like, I want a beach house. And I'm like, perfect. That's your definition of satisfaction. We do that. You know what I mean? Like there, it can be whatever you need. And it could be layers of like layers of holding yourself and being with yourself and being in touch with things, but also wanting a beach house. There's nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? I try to tell everyone that like, 
my definition of satisfaction is so different from yours. And I'm like, great. That's perfect. That's how you know it's yours, not mine or somebody else's. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Abraham Hicks talks about that a lot. We don't all want the same things. And that's the beautiful thing is that everybody has a different version of bliss. Everybody has a different collection of things that they desire. And that's why it all works, right? There is no scarcity because there's enough for everyone because everyone has different experiences. And so everyone has a different definition of satisfaction or what they're desiring. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I love Abraham Hicks. So fun. Me too. So fun. I believe it, but we're already at the hour, which is wild to me. So I want to ask you the three questions we ask every guest on the podcast. So the first question is, what is your definition of beauty? Mm, I love this question. So my definition of beauty is a sense of peace and also having this moment, right? And knowing that all parts of you are beautiful and all things are beautiful in their own way. And so beauty is in really in the eye of the beholder and it's, it's really up to you what you want to be beautiful. So don't let anyone else's definition of beauty take you there. What, what keeps coming to mind as I'm saying this though, is like that beautiful emergence of like a seedling and then like it grows and then it opens and it blooms. Like to me, that's like the ultimate beauty is progress nature cycles. And I think that that really just sums it up for me. Beauty is cyclical and it's amazing. I love that. Beautiful. And what is your favorite inner or outer beauty tip for listeners? Okay. This is a good one. My, my inner beauty tip is to not stifle your intuition because you're so, we're so wise and we're often not listening to ourselves. There's this element of deafness and I feel like inner beauty is radiant. And when we stifle ourselves and our, our knowledge and our intuition, that that just puts a, a damper on everything. Could be an outer beauty tip too, really. Yeah, I feel like it covers both, both aspects. Yes. Amazing. I love it. And the last question is where can people find you? Yeah. So right now I'm currently working on my website, but you can find me on Instagram at nicoledoyle.co. And that's where you can reach out, send me a DM and I will have that website up soon. But in the meantime, catch me there. I love making a good reel and always on stories. Yeah. She has the best reels. So (laughs) check her out. Thank you so much for being here today. This was so wonderful. Thank you. I truly enjoy our conversations always, and this is no exception. So thank you so much for having me. 